We are in part 21 of our King series. We only have two more parts after this and the entire series wraps up. Have you enjoyed the King series? Yeah, yeah, I've been learning a ton through this and really understanding the history of Israel and what it has to do with us today. I entitled this message this morning, Everyone Bows. But before we begin, I would like to pray a special prayer. And the prayer is that we would hear the voice of God. I know that you did not come merely to hear the opinion of your brother in Christ, right? I mean, as much as we love each other, my opinion only goes so far. What we're really looking for is the voice of God. What we really want is that through what I say, through what we read, that the Holy Spirit would communicate out the important stuff, and that would be what sticks in our spirit, amen? He's got a different message, sometimes for all of us. He would, he would uniquely work and talk about the things that are important in your life. So can we just pray about that this morning? Let's do that as we start. Holy Spirit, we hand over control and authority to you. This is your house. This is what you run. So we're asking that you might speak clearly and loudly in our lives, that, Lord, we have not come to hear the opinion of man. We want to hear from our Father in heaven. We want to be able to hear stuff that matters forever, not just for today. God, would you encourage our spirits? Would you challenge us? Would you wash us with a word? Would you make us into your image? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'll begin with a question. How big is your God? How big is your God? Now, I know a little something about how big God is, which is the idea that he is unfathomable, that, that I could not describe him because I can't even comprehend him. But regardless of how big he is, the question is, is how big do you think he is? Because your image of God, how you think about God, will directly impact how you feel, how you live, how you think. For example, if the God that you serve, you see him as limited, if you see him as localized, you're going to have a lot of anxiety about stuff because that means there's a bunch of stuff that is not under his control. If your view of God is massive, then you're going to have your anxiety level lower, your peace level rise because there's nothing outside of his control, right? So we want to, the Bible says, to magnify his name. Let's get it back up there that might be a little more accurate as to how great and mighty and wonderful that he is. So we're going to be doing that a lot this morning. But it's very, very important. Why? Because the world can be scary. Um, I don't know uh, how many of you remember a thing called newspapers. Anybody remember a thing called newspapers? They were literal papers. Yeah, okay. So the way it used to go in the old school is that you would get a paper kind of dropped off and you'd go out with your coffee, right? And you'd go get your newspaper and you'd read the newspaper. Somebody's like, yeah, I still do that. Anyway, you're the only one. Except I recently was down doing my uh, doctoral program in Southern California and they, uh, in the hotel, they had free USA Todays, right? And they'd have them right there on the table and they'd drop them at your front door. And I was like, this is so awesome. I could have bought my own for 25 cents, but it's so cool that they gave me one. So I read every word. And then I did the crossword puzzle. 
okay? In there. Uh, I love that idea. Now, that is super old school. The, the, the slightly old school version is that you get up in the morning and you turn on the television and let the television play in the background and you're watching the news as you're eating your cereal, right? So some of you might still do that. Now, praise the Lord, we no longer have to get out of bed. Right now we reach over to our nightstand and we grab our phones, we turn them on and we instantly have all the news feeds that we possibly want right there on our phones. We don't even have to get out of bed, right? Now, if you read those newsreels, you're going to see what are called headlines. The headlines, which is normally most of the news that we read, right? We don't actually read the articles, those are boring, but we read headlines, we scroll through those. When you read those, sometimes you may mistakenly believe that those are factual. <laughs> They're not. They are opinion pieces from a biased perspective of a human being. Now, what that means is they are not accurate. They are an observation statement, right? So they would say things like, uh, you know, uh, America, you know, head, hurtling towards a battle with Iran or whatever, right? They're going to say those statements. Now, only God knows that, right? That if we're only listening to human beings, it's really going to mess with your anxiety. It's really going to mess with your perspective. Only God truly knows. So we need to be able to do what the Bible says is lift our eyes up off this world and keep our eyes on him. We, whatever is noble and good and right, all those things, we need to keep thinking of a heavenly perspective and seeking the one that only truly knows. We cannot be lost down here because the scariness of the world might start affecting our spirit. So I'm gonna say this statement. I need you to bake it into your heart. Our king is king over the entire earth, right? God is king over the entire earth, not just those that pledge allegiance to his name. So here's another mistake we make. We say, well, yeah, so Jesus is king over Christians. Incorrect. Jesus is king over all creation, whether they're Christians or not. Whether they bow their knee now, everybody bows in the end. Can we all agree on that? Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is... Lord, Lord means master. It means that he's the boss. Everybody's going to do that. You can either, the Bible says, fall on the rock, which is Jesus today and be broken or wait and the rock can fall on you and be crushed into nothingness. That's not what we want. All right, so we've been talking about kings and kingdoms this entire series. One of the things that a king does is enforce justice in his kingdom. So King Jesus is still on the throne enforcing justice throughout our entire world. And you go, wait, no, 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 no. I'm reading the headlines. No, he's not. That's not right. That's not right. That's not right. Well, hold on. It is right. And I'm going to tell you why. Every world power is still under the throne of God Almighty. He can raise them up and he can tear them down. Why? The fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you and on your app is this. God controls the world scene. God controls the world scene. It's just hard to discern. God controls the world's scene. 
Why is it so hard to track on? Because God's priorities and plans are so complex, it's mysterious to us. We're not operating off the same things. He is not working according to human, what? Human constructed paradigms and certainly not human constructed timelines. He's doing stuff that's so much bigger, we have a hard time following his hand. You know what else messes it up? His love. His love, justice, and mercy or grace makes it complicated. You never quite know if what is happening in the world is that God is giving them enough room to turn it around or if he's approving it. You know what I'm saying? Because he's not doing anything about it. So you're like, so you're good with this? And he's like, no, 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 no. I'm just not crushing them yet. Oh, okay, I get it. But we don't know that. So we keep thinking the world is kind of random and haphazard and and the bad guys get away with everything. That is not the case. It's never the case. God is still in control. Sometimes it's hard to tell the good guys from the bad guys, yeah? See, we always have these simple mindsets, which is any war we're ever involved in, we're the good guys, they're the bad guys. How can that statistically be? There is no way that that is the case. But even when we look out at other things, when we pick out and we put it according to our little box, right? So we say, well, this is what good guys do. This is what bad guys do. And then we watch wars happen and we pick a side. Do you know that sometimes God uses bad guys to crush bad guys? That there isn't a good side? You know what I mean? So If we look into the Bible, when we start talking about the judgment that came upon the north through the Assyrian Empire, the reason God was judging Israel in the north was because they were wicked. You know who he crushed them with? A wicked nation. Bad guy was crushing bad guy. And we always want to say, well, someone's got to be a good guy, right? Why? Because that's what happens in cartoons, right? I don't know how many of you grew up on Westerns, but there was white hats and black hats. That's the way it worked. Like there was the good guys and there was bad guys and there always has to be in the story. But that's not true in real life. God uses bad guys to crush bad guys. And so when you are trying to make your determinations about what is right in this world, what is right in the newspapers, what is right in the headlines, I don't think we have a big enough paradigm to figure that one out. God is a bit more complicated. But make no mistake, all world leaders, whatever dictators have happened, whatever nations have arisen, they are only allowed by God. The minute he's done with them, he takes them out and shuts them down. Let me use an example. Kim Jong-un, yeah? You all know North Korea, right? Uh, He took over for his dad, so that family's been in play for a little while. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I don't mean to be too controversial, but I think he's a bad leader just saying. When you execute anyone that disagrees with you, that's bad, okay? I don't tend to run church that way, right? I don't think that at Bridgeway it would be really wise. Suddenly Parnell's gone. (laughs) Permanent vacation, that kind of stuff. Okay, so he's not a healthy guy. It's not a healthy nation. Now, do I really know what's happening in North Korea? No, because I don't really trust a lot of the information getting out, so I'm not going to play that game with you. What I am going to say is it's really hard to see a dictator treating their people a certain way from what I can gather and God not do anything about it. 
That's weird for me because I'm like, well, you're the King Jesus. So why don't you just go in and go smash, right? And he's like, well, hold on a second. I didn't go smash on you, right? I mean, isn't that intriguing? We always want justice for our enemies, but mercy for ourselves. That's, that's shocking to me. What if we're the bad guys, right? I mean, we've asked that prior. Let me, let me say a last thing. Praise God that he doesn't leave us entirely in the dark. Yes, God's ways are mysterious to us. Yes, they're higher than ours. You know, you've heard that, that verse, right? For my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts, your thoughts, right? That, that it's mysterious to us because it's complex and complicated, but we are not in the dark. As a matter of fact, I'm not sure you can appreciate fully the fact that you know things the rest of the world doesn't know. Why? Because there's two types of revelation. Revelation means opening up and giving someone information. There's two types of theoretical revelation. There's general revelation and special revelation. General means everybody has access to it. So God's general revelation is creation. Everybody can go out and look up at the stars and go, wow, that sounds complex. Everybody can look at the human body and they can say, wow, that seems complex. I bet you there is a designer, right? That's general revelation about the nature of God. You can only make general statements about who God is. Let's say you see a hurricane. You would determine what? God or whoever the power is that put it together is super strong. But that's about as far as it goes. It can still be random unless you receive special revelation that helps you interpret it. Special revelation means tailored information. The Bible is special revelation. Y'all, we have this. It gives us insight into the mind of God and makes our world not random, but purposeful. If you just look out at creation, you can make the silly assumption that evolution is true. But once you read the special revelation and you see the purpose and meaning, it is no longer an option. Y'all following me? Because it doesn't work that way. At first you observe, now you start interpreting and you go, wow, but there's more than that. Not only do we have 66 books revealing the heart of God, but the Holy Spirit is still speaking to us today, which means you as a child of God are not only receiving in inside information, right? Impressions on your heart, messages through people. But when you read the Bible, which a lot of people can read, the Bible says that it is spiritually discerned, meaning while you're reading it, the Holy Spirit is highlighting stuff and connecting dots you wouldn't normally. There's supernatural revelation coming to God's kids all the time. Now, what is intriguing to me is that, and I'm gonna talk about myself, is that we tend to think everybody knows what we know. They simply do not. And it is a shame that we keep it to ourselves. See, you and I assume if we've been Christians for any length of time, we assume that our neighbor knows the world is meaningful, they just don't wanna talk about it. But what if they don't know? It's intriguing that when we go on the mission field, 
we take away that barrier and we go, oh, I can share the good news of Jesus with this person because they don't know. And we share it and they go, no way. You go, yeah, way. But you won't do that with your neighbor because you go, no, no, no. I'm sure you already know the whole story and you don't want to talk about it. Let's say that's true for 15, 20, 30%. Are you telling me that it's okay that 70% don't know the full story? And if they heard the story, did they hear the right version of the story? You see, part of our job is to get the truth out and help them make sense of their world. It's great that you have meaning. It's great that you have purpose. But shouldn't every human being know what's really going on? Shouldn't every human being have purpose and meaning that when they get cancer, it doesn't feel like it's now random hopelessness? When an earthquake hits, do they just need to feel unsettled that everything is up in the air or can they believe in a God who controls earthquakes? Can they believe in a God that can do miracles? Can they believe in a God that if he says you no longer have cancer, that you no longer have cancer? I appreciate that all of us have that warm feeling in our hearts, but it is a bit rude for us to keep it to ourselves. Everyone needs to know that life matters. Everyone needs to know what's really going on. Amen? Amen. All right, let me tell you this. Jesus said... In John 15, 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, he was talking to his followers, for the servant doesn't know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. God wants to share his heart with his people. May he do that this morning, amen? Amen. All right. Could you please turn if you can find it to the book of Nahum? Right? The last time you read it was never. Okay. And it doesn't really help that I go, it goes Jonah, Micah, Nahum. You don't know where any of those are. Why? Because they're so tiny. So go to the table of contents, right? And find it. Or if you grab a Bible under the seat in front of you, it is page 782. 782. It's basically a two and a half chapter letter of prophecy through a guy named Nahum, and we're going to study that today. And I'm going to tell you up front what it's all about. Then I'll tell you, then we'll read through it, not the whole thing. And then I'm going to tell you why it matters for us today. So let's go ahead and jump into this. Let me give you the background and the summary of the whole thing. Uh, Throughout this series, we've been explaining that at a time in Israel's history, they split north and south. As you know, and we have talked over and over and over, the north got wiped out by the Assyrian Empire in 722 BC. I describe them when I preach here as the shark, this big bad shark that kept circling around the Middle East, taking people over. Eventually, God allowed them to gobble up and eat the north, pull all their people out in a deportation, And it left very few, and they backfilled it with a bunch of other people. The South still existed. And in our story, the South is still around. But make no mistake, the shark wanted to eat them too, right? 
I mean, there was choice meat right there. The shark's not just going to leave. So for a long time, the South paid the shark off, right? Hey, Assyrian Empire, you don't need to take us over. We'll bring you cash. And as long as we're bringing you cash, why would you want to take us over? I mean, we're doing our job. We're giving you the money. So for a while, the shark kept swimming. But when you know that a shark's out there, you know that the shark is extorting you. At some point, you get angry. And a king of Judah, or the southern of Israel, decided to stop paying the extortion money. That king was King Hezekiah. Y'all remember we studied this guy? He stops paying the money, and Assyria gets super ticked off. The shark comes up with 185,000 soldiers and says, we will wipe you out just like we did the north. And what happened? Hezekiah prayed, and that night, God sent the angel of the Lord, who I believe was Jesus, and he slaughtered all 185,000 soldiers in their sleep, and Assyria had to go back home embarrassed and defeated, but they're still not gone. Y'all know that... Anybody remember this bit of advice? Now, you have to be a little bit older to remember this advice. Anybody remember the advice that if a shark comes, you, want, you need to punch it in the nose? Anybody, can it, raise your hand if anybody remembers this wise advice. Yeah, okay, this is the stupidest bit of information I've ever received in my life. Is, all, is everyone tracking that their nose is right next to their mouth? So the whole idea that if he's going, like, I'm really going to be like, whoa, boom, and hit him on the top. This is not a real, a realistic bit of information. But even if you were able to punch said shark in the nose, and said shark is like, oh, my nose, and, fl- and swims away, at some point the shark knows next time I will come in a different direction. Like, he's not just going to give up. In the same way, the South had God beat down the enemy, but he's still around. And they're always scared he's going to come back. You see, many times we receive rescue. You know the difference between rescue and deliverance? Rescue means you're saved for today. Deliverance means you're rescued forever. I need you to understand the power that Jesus Christ did on the cross was that he delivered us from our sins. The Bible says that he took the law code that condemns us to hell, and he nailed it on the cross. He then disarmed the bad guys after us and made a public spectacle of them and shut down even death so that we are fully delivered from the power of the enemy. Y'all following me? That's deliverance. Well, God wanted to deliver the south from the threat of the Assyrian empire. How was he gonna do that? He already rescued them, but now it was time for deliverance. All right, here we go. What ends up happening was that he gave them a message of hope through a guy named Nahum. Uh, Who is Nahum? Uh, Nobody knows, nobody really cares. His name means comforter, which is intriguing because when you read this book, you're gonna be like, that's brutal. That is not a comforting book. Oh, it is when they're talking about a shark that's trying to eat you. It's comforting. It is not a message to Assyria. They're already done. It's a message to Judah to say, hang on, I'm taking care of the bad guys and I'm gonna get them out of the way. It's a comforting book. 
Now, intriguingly enough, we don't know where he's from. The Bible says he's from Elkosh. We don't know where that is. But oddly enough, have you ever heard of the, the New Testament town of Capernaum? Capernaum was basically Jesus' home base. It's where he lived with Peter. Um, and Peter's house was there. Capernaum means village of Nahum, which is intriguing. Is that why it was named that? We have no idea. But nevertheless, same name. When did this guy prophesy? Towards the end before Assyria got beat up. That's where we pick up the story. Who is Assyria? It's really hard to read this book until you understand who they are. And I need you to know two things about Assyria. Number one, they were brilliant. The Assyrian peoples were high-level mathematicians, high-level engineers. They did stuff no other people group was doing. They knew how to organize and orchestrate and have things in their massive cities, like running water and all this crazy stuff. They were absolutely brilliant, but they were absolutely nasty people. How do we know that? Because they were so smart, they used what we refer to now as psychological operations. Here's what they would do. They decided we can either fight all of our enemies or we can fight a few of them, do it so brutally that no one else wants to fight. Does that make sense? You can either fight all your enemies or just fight a few and the rest will run away from you. So they began terror. They were violent. And what I mean by that is that, uh, let me just read their king's version. Here's what he said when they attacked a, a city of Egypt. Uh, their king said, great and small, I cut them down with a sword. Their corpses I hung on stakes. I tore off their skins and covered the wall of the city with them. Okay, so they were famous for flaying people alive. So they strip your skin off while you're still there. Then they took them and they actually put it up as a tapestry on the wall. Now, this is really messed up stuff because it takes a really long time, right? They would cut off body parts and stack them in piles, heads, arms, everything. And then they would bury their enemies alive. Why? Just for terror reasons. They would put people on stakes and just let them sink down throughout the day over it's just horrific stuff. They would kill children and men and women. And they were, it was this just massive, big hit, massive fear. And then they would step out. That way, the next time they go to a village, they go, do you want to surrender? They'd go, yes, I do. Was it smart? Yes. Was it good? No. These people were about to be shut down by God. But I need you to understand they were the superpower of the time. Their capital was Nineveh. Anybody ever heard of Nineveh? Okay, so that's famous in what story? Jonah, right. So 125 years before this, another prophet got burped up by a fish, walked in and said, you're all going to die and I hope it works. <laughs> right? Like that, that was Jonah's message. And what happened? The king of Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, repented called a nationwide fast, and they all repented and God relented. He didn't destroy them. And what's funny is, I don't know if you've ever read Jonah, but the book ends with Jonah ticked off that they're not all dead. Like what a horrible guy, right? He's like, see, I knew it. I wanted them all to fry. Now they're fine, right? That's how the book ends. Not a very Christian response. 
but God gave them mercy. They were nasty back then, but God gave them mercy. Why? They repented. But now 125 years later, enough is enough. We're not doing that anymore. They went back to their old ways very quickly, and God has an end to how long he's going to let them do that. So he's going to shut them down. How did it shut down? Like this. A coalition rose up of other nations, two nations in particularly, Babylon and the Mede Empire. Those two connected together and said, I think we can take them out. They've sufficiently waned in power. We're going to go storm their city. So they surrounded the city of Nineveh and sieged it for three months, and they couldn't get in. And then this happened. One of the historians wrote, and the rain began to fall, and it fell, and it fell, and it fell, and it started to flood. And then whether on purpose, because they broke it, or whether by accident, history is not clear, the dams broke. The water rushed against Nineveh and ended up eroding and wearing down one of the walls and poured over the gates and they were able to ride it in and take over the entire city. Now that's miraculous. You're gonna find out in this book, God says that's exactly how it's gonna go down. All right, turn with me to Nahum chapter one, verse one. We're just gonna read a couple selected parts and then I'll tell you why we care about all this. Nahum 1.1, an oracle, meaning a message from God concerning Nineveh, the capital of the Assyrians. This book of the vision of Nahum of Elkosh, Yahweh, or the Lord, is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his enemies and keeps wrath for his enemies. Yet the Lord is slow to anger and great in power. But the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. His way is in the whirlwind and the storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers. The mountains Bashan and Carmel wither. The bloom of Lebanon withers. The mountains quake before him. The hills melt. The earth heaves before him the world and all who dwell in it. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire and the rocks are broken into pieces by him. But the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows personally those who take refuge in him. But with an overwhelming what? flood. He will make a complete end of the adversaries and will pursue his enemies into darkness. All right. So God's a little angry. We all tracking on that? Great. So imagine getting this letter in the mail. Yeah. You are now the Assyrians. You got a letter from God. Now they don't care because they don't think that God is a thing, but he says, I'm going to take you down. Pick it up in 12. Thus says the Lord, though the Assyrians are at full strength and are many, they will be cut down and pass away. Go to verse 13. I will break his yoke from off you, Judah, and burst your bonds apart. 
about Assyria again, verse 14, the Lord has given commandment about you. Go to the end of the verse. I will make your grave for you are vile. Now, one of the difficulties of reading a book like this is that God's trying to do two things at the same time. He's trying to what? Tell Assyria you're going down and he's trying to encourage Judah. I'm protecting you. And when he's going back and forth, the author's not real clear who we're talking to, right? So when you read this verse, this passage or this book, you go, man, it's confusing. You're right. But once you slow down and you look at it, it becomes very simple. God's going to take out the bad guys and protect his people. That's all you need to know. All right, let's keep moving forward. Verse 15. Behold, upon the mountains the feet of him who brings good news. Anybody ever heard that verse before? Yeah, you know that phrase. Who publishes peace. So to my people, keep your feasts, O Judah. Fulfill your vows, for never again shall the worthless pass through you, for he is utterly cut off. The scatterer has come up against you. So man the ramparts, watch the road, dress for battle, collect all your strength, for the Lord is restoring the majesty of his people, Jacob, like the majesty of Israel, because plunderers have plundered them and ruined their branches. This is why it's a message of comfort. Hey team, we're gonna be all right. We're gonna get out of this. I'm gonna take care of the bad guy and we're gonna thrive again. We're gonna come back alive. Is anybody today need a little message of encouragement that that which the enemy has really screwed up in your life? God can make up for it? Anybody need a story of redemption? Anybody need encouragement for the future? That's what this stuff is, right? All right, let's keep going. Pick it up in verse 13. Behold, speaking of Assyria, I am against you, declares the Lord of hosts. I will burn your chariots in smoke. The sword will devour your young lions. I will cut off your prey from the earth and the voice of your messengers shall no longer be heard. Woe to the bloody city, all full of lies and plunder, with no end to their prey. Go to verse five. Behold, I am against you, declares the Lord of hosts. I will lift up your skirts over your face. I will make nations look at your nakedness and kingdoms at your shame. I will throw filth at you and treat you with contempt and make you a spectacle. Dang, that turned dark. <laughs> right? If God is throwing feces, this is a, a tough day. That's all I'm trying to tell you. Like, man, he's really not okay with this. Why? Because the sense of injustice of what the Assyrians were doing to other people over and over, he said, you keep treating them that, like that. Let me show you what that's like. And he just rains down havoc on them. But the most powerful verse is verse 18. Assyria, your shepherds are asleep. That's the leadership. O king of Assyria, your nobles slumber. Your people are scattered on the mountain and no one's going to bring them home. What was his point? They have no idea. All right. So you read something like this and you say, so how does it apply to me? Like what? What am I, I mean, there's like craziness going on. What does this have to do with me? I need you to take some notes. You ready? I got six things that this book is telling you and telling me. 
And I think it would be powerful for you to write down these truths. So in your notes, maybe in your handout or maybe in your app, you can take some notes. But we're going to go ahead and go through six real fast things as we close out. Here we go. Number one, God is mighty and our enemies should be worried. God is mighty and our enemies should be worried. I cannot highlight enough what victory in Jesus means. The Bible says that who the Son sets free will be what? Free indeed. That is correct. So Jesus knows how to deliver. He's got the power and he's concerned enough to do something about it. So what are you facing today? What enemy would stand before you and how big is your view of God? Our God is mighty. Number two, God is jealous and protective of his family. God is jealous and protective of his family. When the Bible says God is jealous, it does not mean he wish he had something that he didn't have. Jealous means overly protective. I need you to know that God is a jealous and protective God. An attack on God's people, God considers an attack on him. How do we know that? Y'all remember the apostle Paul? His name used to be Saul. And he was walking down the road one day to go hurt more Christians. God hit him with a bright light, blinded him and said, why are you hurting me? And Saul goes, I don't even know who you are. And he goes, yeah, that's our problem. You see, I'm Jesus and everything you're doing to my kids, that's affecting me. God takes it very personal when his children are harmed and he does not take it lightly. Number three, God is patient even with his enemies. God is patient even with his enemies. Nineveh got 125 years of sorting stuff out before he came back in. Do we want God to utilize mercy? We do. There are some of you that have some injustice happening in relationships. I want to highlight something for you that I feel like God revealed to me last night. It is very easy to want destruction for your enemies, but I want to give you a little bit of an insight. It's better if they get saved. Here's why. And I'm just going to be practical, right? I'm just thinking selfish wise. Here's the practical reason. If they have hurt you and they are destroyed, you hang on to the pain. If they get saved, they come back and repent and square things up with you, and then you have healing. So what do we really want? We want our enemies saved. We do not want them destroyed. Amen? God knows that stuff. All right, let's go to number four. No one and nothing can stand against our God. No one and nothing can stand against our God. In that day, no one could imagine a world without the Assyrian Empire. Most of you didn't even know they existed. That's how much he wiped them out. Do you understand that there are people in the world today that they've only grown up in an era where America is a superpower, right? I mean, we are the world dominant power. So in their country, they only hear things like what? Shock and awe. Dude, you go against us, you tick us off. If we mark you out as a bad guy, we will scorch the earth with you. We have enough firepower to wreck your world, right? 
in the same way they can never imagine America, what, waning in power? is the same way they felt about the Assyrian Empire. Let me ask you this, is America invincible? No, but they think so. They couldn't imagine Assyria being gone. Do you realize that when God got done wiping out Assyria, no one could even find Nineveh for 1,500 years? They didn't even know where it was. Now, when you take a massive empire and you obliterate them, that for 1,500 years, you can't find the door. It's a pretty bad beatdown, right? That's God. All right, number five, God's ultimate goal is to bless his people. God's ultimate goal is to bless his people. Remember, God was trying to bless Israel. They just weren't having it. They were the ones wrecking their own blessing. Y'all, God wants to bless you, and usually your biggest enemy is you. You're the one messing up the blessings. God's like, let's go to Disneyland. You're like, but I want to disobey. (laughs) Number six. Ready? Number six. The arrogant never see it coming. The arrogant never see it coming. God was going to wipe them off the face of the earth, and they had no clue. So let me ask you, who are the people today, I certainly hope it's no one in this room, that doesn't take God seriously? Who are the people today that just snub their nose at God and go, whatever, that whole religious thing, that whole God thing, there's no creator, there's no... I cannot imagine how someone could live their life and not believe in a God, Now, okay, fine, we can have a bunch of different viewpoints as to who God is and all that stuff, great. But the whole idea that you would say that there's not a designer is weird to me. It doesn't make sense. But there are some that are so wrapped up in themselves, they don't care. And so they say that God would never be able to touch them even if he existed. They're never gonna see it coming. May that not be us. All right, so as we close, here's what I want to do. Could I have the prayer team come on up here and stand with me? I need y'all to do a special thing with me. We're going to pray for some folks here today um, because our God, our King, not only rules on a macro level, but also on a micro level. He is still the King of things going on with you. So here's what I want to do. I, in a moment, am going to ask some folks to stand. And here's who I want to stand in a moment. If you feel like you have injustice happening in your life right now, and whatever that means to you, if that means relational injustice, if that means systemic injustice, if that means financial injustice. Let's say, for example, that someone owed you something and it was very clear it was a contract and they just bailed out on it and you're in trouble because of it. That would be an injustice. So whatever injustice that you are, you are facing, in a moment, I'm going to have you stand and we're going to pray breakthrough for God to bring justice into your situation. Y'all tracking with me? All right. 
Before we do that, I just want you to soak your mind into these final statements. And then what I'm gonna have is I'm gonna have my prayer team up here. We are gonna be the general prayer warriors praying a covering over that whole direction, right? Because I'm gonna have everyone pray for each other here. I need you guys to be lobbying lobbying just power this way. All right, so here's what I want you to think about as we're about to pray. We have a mighty God. He cares and he's watching. He is personal and he is protective. And our enemies cannot stand against him. So when we pray, I want your heart full of faith. I want you to get your head in the game And everyone that prays for you, I want you to pray with full confidence. You ready to do it? All right, if you are facing injustice, I would like you to stand up where you're at. You don't have to tell us what it is. Stand up right where you're at, okay? Who else? All right. Remember, that is based on your definition. You've examined through it, and you see injustice facing you. All right. I need you to remain standing. Everybody tracking on who's around them, who is standing up around them. Here's what I need you to do. I need you, if you're in their vicinity, I want you to get up and go lay hands upon them. We're gonna pray for them. We're gonna pray breakthrough and we're gonna take it seriously. I want you to pretend like it is your problem, that if they're hurting, we are hurting. If they get freedom, we get freedom. Our prayer team, if you see any that you need to back up, by all means, you guys can step out of here. But we're going to really pray just a covering of massive God's power. If you are sitting down, you are now an intercessor as well, just generally. I want all of us, all of God's family to pray together for the justice to reign. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we do not know what our brothers and sisters are facing right now. What we do know is it matters to them, therefore it matters to us, and it matters to you. God, we don't know all the sides. We don't know the details, but what we know, Lord, is if there is injustice done to our brothers and sisters, we ask for it to be broken right now in Jesus' name. We pray that you would release upon them a justice, that you would move in their relationships, that you would move in their financial situation, that you would move in the systems that are crushing them right now, that while they are here standing in your throne place, while they're standing in your house. May God, you do things for them outside, that while they worship your name, while they seek your face, would you move on their behalf, that God, they have been suffering through this, they've called out to you, and they need backup from their brothers and sisters. So right now, we ask for freedom. We ask for a transformation of a situation. We ask, God, that you would do the impossible and begin to work it out for those that love you. May you turn the entire situation around that even as they get back in the car there's a different feeling that by the time they get home there's a different reality that God as it moves forward they would see your hand moving intricately to switch it God may you show yourself mighty and powerful today and we will bring you glory for it in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth we pray amen